PG Podcast Network, it's time for the year-round carnival with Vince Accardi and your host, Racetrack Rolfie. What a big day of drama. What a big two days of drama at Mooney Valley. Called beautifully, as always, by uh, Matt Hill from Racing.com. There's the audio there. Much appreciated. Vince Accardi from Daily Sectionals. Animo delivered on the big stage and so in the sprint, of course, on the Saturday rather than Friday night, did Bella Nipatina. Yes, absolutely, Rolfie. It was a uh... Fantastic racing, wasn't it? That's absolutely right. So Mooney Valley had to delay their uh, their Manicato from Friday night. That's been well documented. What hasn't been well documented yet is what you saw in how the track played. So before we get to those star horses, uh, how did Mooney Valley play on officially what was a heavy eight? Uh, it definitely wasn't heavy eight as the day progressed. If we look at oh, – oh, there was one section of the track which would have been borderline, but if we just go through the raw figures – the two-year-old's very hard to gauge when you go 20 lengths below benchmark, so I just sort of kept that to the side. But really, from race two, you can see the variance. Race one was minus 20, but race two was minus 10.9. That's 1,000 metres. Of course, it comes out from a different shoot, so you don't get the complete picture, but you do get a solid picture from the 600 home. Race three, a 1,200-metre race, was 15.5 lengths below benchmark, but then race four, 11 and a half, you know, we, we're sitting in that sort of S, sort of 7, 6 range. We had a 1,600 metre race, but they went really slow, Ralphie, where they went 23 and a half. And again, the real clarity was in, in the subsequent race from race 5 to 6. You could see the massive difference. It went from 23 and a half raw to 7.7, and it was consistent. Race 7 was around 10, and this is the theme of the day. And that, from my perspective... Of course, the exception in the very last race was minus 4.4. And yes, the track was even getting better by that stage. But the reality for me is I pinned it somewhere between S6 and S7, pretty much from race three onwards. All right. Animo, of course, the rock star of the day, winning the Cox Plate. Uh, this is what we wrote post-Sizzlers, oh, sorry, post-Corfield Guineas Day when he won the uh, the Might and Power on our Sizzlers, and we'll just set it up this way. Animo, 4.1 links above benchmark, best of the day, the rock star of Australian racing who delivered prior to his Cox Plate grand final and after, in quotation marks, a walking tempo lead-ins, minus 15.1 below benchmark at the 800 first up, minus 15.4 second up, has had a race, dragging his figure from 2.8 to 4.1, and he's plus 6.2 all-time grand final set last year in the great races right in his side so as i said he 4.1 his all-time pb was 6.2 
you didn't think he would be beaten, Vince, on uh, on our preview podcast on Friday. And, of course, you can always listen to what we did. If you didn't buy our preview podcast, you can listen back. We always put them up completely unedited. You went through the scenarios of what might see him beaten. Of course, he didn't. Beautiful ride by James McDonald. What did he do? Well, in the end, we ended up with a overall IVR figure of plus 5.1, which was a length up on what it did at its previous start. And I have to say that was probably still short of what the horse can do, which I don't know if they're going to race it again shortly, but there's more improvement to come, which is the crazy part, right? But ultimately, I look at the early speed, 6.3 6.3 lengths below benchmark. It was only really a marginal shift from the start before, about three and a half lengths. So again, not overtaxed. Good move in the mid-race. Oddly enough, that was probably the, the one of the difficult parts where the track condition was inferior to the rest of the ground. So if you're doing high, high exertion at that point, it's never going to be an advantage for you. And then there was a real soft weakening over the last 200 metres of about half a length. And that was, from my point of view, that sign of that horses still got a little bit more to come. So this is interesting from a trend line perspective as well. And we'll get to the tactics and the uh, absolute execution from James McDonald. But what, what we've said then is first two Sydney runs, minus 15 range, Caulfield minus nine range, here minus six range. So really he's yet to go really in a fast run race. And what you're saying with that drop off, to me, is interesting because James Cummings has said there's every chance he's going to run in, well, I'm not sure what it's called now, but the McKinnon on the final day, 2,000 metres Fleming, he still might have more to come, is what you're saying. Well, I'll look at it like this. If the track's good, the horse is going to just annihilate the competition, <laughs> not not beat him. It'll be, it'll be a, an annihilation. And the reason why is, is this, Ralphie, and this is the one of the challenges of the sport and the game that we play as form students, is everything looks tight margins aren't that big performances are great and that's and that's fair right i, I look at what i'm thunderstruck did al bogadon zaki even alligator blood there was no sort of illusions there about their capability their class but what happens is when the speed is what it is it actually keeps the lid on their real capabilities under different race shapes now of course if they go to Flemington and it's a good track and everybody goes 10 lengths below benchmark, we're always going to have a very similar outcome. But if there's any speed and we're racing anywhere near benchmark plus two or three, it's a completely different um, race. Yeah. And the majority of the horses that are, that are, or a number of the horses that look really positive in their finishing ain't going to have that. So minus 3.8 speed, uh, eight lengths below benchmark was the lead speed from Zaki on soft ground. How do you view that compared to a typical Cox Plate? Now, and I say this with, I know typical Cox Plate, let's say eight lengths above benchmark on a good track. So allowing for the track, how would, would you rank that speed? Uh, really good uh, yeah. for for that race. But for overall, from an historical point of view, it, easily five, six lengths off the mark, right? Meaning Jamie's given Zaki every chance. Oh, she's – when she went to the front and there was no no tackling, I knew straight away, well, that's the first horse that's going to be beaten. Because unfortunately, I, I'm i not a rider. Yep. I can only look at things through the science of numbers, right? So please understand that I don't know when you're on top of a horse what's it really mean. But what I do know from a numbers point of view and the profile of Zaki, when it went to the front and it looked very controlled – 
I said, this is going to be the first horse beaten because once it turns into a race, everybody that's around is so much superior in their speed, their kickoff speed, and they're going to have so much energy built up. How, how, is, how is she going to defy those runners? Like, in other words, hold them off. Obviously, if you go faster, that changes the dynamics. It makes it harder for the back markers. People think if they go faster, it suits the back markers. No, it doesn't always suit the back markers. What really counts is what happens between the 8 and the 400, and the first part of the picture will be a very big governor on how much of, of an opportunity the back markers may or may not have. Because if they're all saving energy, and this is the perfect example, let's look at, I'm Thunderstruck, last, right? But let's, let's be real here. Four to seven, uh, it's a seven and a half length. You're still inside the elastic band, Ralphie. What happens? Those, sorry, Vince, I just want to underline because people picking this up, you say an elastic band, you've got to be, if you're not within 10 lengths of the lead, good luck. So you've got to be within yeah. that 10 lengths. 10 lengths like the maximum, right? But yeah. eight's real, right? Anybody inside the eight zone, yep. if they've got a big finish, which right, I'm they can e- as. <laughs> yeah, they, they can easily be in the race, right? So yes. what edge did you have? Like, so you don't, right? So yeah. And I get it, right? She goes to the front. I'm controlling the race. Uh, Alligator Blood decides not to contest, right, and gives the perfect trail for Anima, which we thought was going to be either golden A position or golden A minus one is the way I marked it. Because if you're one off the fence sitting in that third running line, you're in the absolute A1 position. If you're on the fence, you you lose just a little bit, right, because you you may need a bit of luck in that home, you know, straightening for home to get out and, and run. So... Set up for everybody else. Horse on its own had an optimum in terms of race shape. But if she had gone faster, would that horse have um, finished closer? Maybe it might have run third or second. That's the weird part, right? This is the unknown area. Just going three lengths faster changes all the dynamics, but didn't happen. And yep. this is what we were left with. But Zaki overall ran right up to its previous start and and that was uh, 3.7 lengths above IVR benchmark. So hasn't quite been able to get to the 4.1, and I believe it is because they just didn't go a little bit quicker. It's not because the horse isn't capable of reaching that level. And so what you're saying is one of the fundamentals, on a, on a fast leader which, with no finish, uh, if you can fatigue the chasers, they're out of play. That gives Correct. you every chance. And probably we saw, that, we saw that race shape in the Turak when yep. Tuvalu, military expert, Gentleman Roy, they're not great horses, but they all fatigue the opposition being up front of strong league pack, first, third and fourth. Uh, let, let's put some more meat in the bones of what you're saying with I'm Thunderstruck through this angle, Vince. Uh, the communication so far has been while Animo goes to, stays at 2,000, I'm Thunderstruck, back to the mile at Flemington and that new big money mile. So that's going to be interesting, plus 4.4 on Saturday. And that was his first, uh, you know, serious figure at uh, at 2,000 range. But his all-time PB is at the mile. Um, There's no question that's not going to be a bad thing. And in the end, running off that race speed probably helps the horse as well now, coming back to a mile. Because if if you go a lot faster, it might be a bit tougher. Yep. So... All things are good. The horses closed, you know, superbly. And the and the reality was this, as I was communicating with some people internally, that I'm thunderstruck in terms of its class capability was always the second best horse yeah. in the field. And if it was a mile race, and we might have even mentioned on the podcast, no, you did, right? you absolutely yeah. said it. This this would be a two horse race, and that would be the war. But at two thousand meters, the game changes. The race shape allows the horse to stay in, and going back to the mile five, I'm understruck. It feels fantastic. 
Uh, El Bogdan, you pegged him on Friday, a four to four and a half horse. What did he do? Yeah, fantastic performance. 4.3. I was delighted with that run. That was uh, really good, Ralphie. Really good. So that's yeah. – I, I think they're staying here. So what they're they're going to have a lot of fun with this horse. Well, where are they going to go next? They're going to go and probably go in a 2,000-metre race again, do you feel? Again, well, the same probably against Enemo again in that race yeah. in two weeks. Unfortunately, I, I, <laughs> oh, yeah. of course, we'll, we'll go over and we'll look at all the things, but it's just – yeah, Animo turns up, you know, if he gets a start, he's going to scare a lot of runners. But look, please, everybody enter so we can be assured, you know, black price because I, I was just <laughs> bewildered how, you know, they can give such a good price for a horse that should be a dollar forty. Well, there were a lot of stories being told, Fitz. You've got to tell stories leading up to a big race. Yep, no, it's good. <laughs> we always, uh, we're member sponsored. So we've got no corporate bookmaker affiliation and we appreciate the support of our members. So on Sunday, I always send our members an email saying, would you like to ask me something? Darren has asked, hi, Ralphie and Vince, what a weekend of racing. I have so many questions. I thought Gold Trip's nomination, the Cox Plate, confusing, but I thought he ran well. Obviously, the intention was to win, but do you think it was the trainer's intention for a tune-up in the Melbourne Cup? He seems to have drifted in the market. I'm still keen on him. And also, if you have time, Francesco Gardi, which we'll get to, and uh, Berardino, uh, so we'll get to the three odds as well. But firstly, Vince, your thoughts on Gold Trip's run and what that may- might mean from a Melbourne Cup perspective? Well, it, it's, a, it's really hard, and I'm still learning about what, creates a flat line run and what doesn't create a flat line under different scenarios and did the, how much did the blinkers really work or not work right because I, I felt that you know having blinkers on was going to be such a big asset for the horse and you know going 0.8 better overall is it really an asset that that's my question to me right now going to 2000 what's it going to go the Melbourne Cup is it 32 yeah yeah, wow, could it be tuned up for that? Unfortunately for me, I'm not seeing this possibility now of this horse hitting that high level from overseas. It's, it's, just, it's not happening, right? It's just not happening. It's just not happening. And that's a that's a problem for me. Now, the squeeze in the race was fantastic, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep this real. You couldn't outsprint I'm Thunderstruck. I'm, you know, just... It was come from behind it and beat it and beat yep. it comfortably. So does that make me excited for that sort of horse to go to a, a Melbourne Cup? In the past, a, co- a Cox Plate can be a super indicator, and I identified this going back a long, long time ago, right? Like I'm going back at least 20 years. So I realised that the Cox Plate could be an advantage, and this all starts with the Cummings crew, right, that this is a real – possibility that you can have an advantage like a serious advantage but this horse isn't showing me that because you should have finished a lot higher up should that have been the case now i don't like to preempt everything early in the you know like in the piece like who knows what happens come melbourne cup day maybe when i go through every runner there might not be a lot of competition yep and maybe this horse i elevated up but right now purely off this profile it's the last horse i want to back right now yep Nice and simple. All right, let's get to the sprint, the transferred sprint. So the thoughts on the uh, 
we've actually got a few members' questions on this, so I'll get to it, obviously. Bella Nipotina won. So a couple of uh, questions here from Darren. Uh, keen to hear Vince's thoughts where you Paul Ailey in the Manicato. Stewards report noted J-Mac stated the horse had a slow recovery rate on return to scale, but Vets find, uh, failed to find abnormalities. And uh, and also here from uh, from Scotty. Uh, happy post-anime day, day, Ralphie and Vince. What a horse. Paul Ailey versus Bella Nipotina. They both looked to have gone similar in the race through the sections, 1,400. Paul Ailey then hit a flat spot. It's perfectly called by Matt Hill. Last 200, Paul Ailey versus Bella Nipotina. She absolutely smashed him. Was he flattened off a big Caulfield run versus her rested 27 days off a huge Moya run? Cheers, Scotty. Uh, in hindsight, Racing Victoria may have wished to promote Adamo as one of the highlights of the Spring Carnival instead of using the vet. So a little editorial there from Scotty at the end, but Vince, back to Paul Ailey versus Bella Nipotina. Uh, on Friday, we thought it was a two-horse race. Your preference was Bella uh, Paul Ailey, but, you know, obviously mad respect for Bella Nipotina. What did she do? And uh, have you got any data from uh, Paul Ailey that would explain his poor run? Well, firstly, if we look at Paul Ailey, the early speed was, was sharp for the horse, given the scenario, 2.1 lengths above benchmark, but just dramatically weakened inside that. The heavier part of the ground, I don't believe that's an advantage for Paul Ailey. So you're going out that speed, and then you're trying to maintain your line through the worst part of the ground. And, and mind you, when I say the worst part of the ground, approaching the 400-metre mark, compared to the rest of the track, the that section there was at least two and a half lengths inferior, and therefore making it even tougher. So I, I'm not saying I'm a big advocate for Paul Ailey. I was a little bit cold. I sent out an email during the afternoon, Ralph, just sort yeah, of that's right, some yep. And the only part that I had concerns on with the track was I just felt between the six and the 400 there, that that was probably the worst part of the ground and was several lengths behind everywhere else. So that just sort of helped solidify a few things in my mind about where I wanted to be, what type of horses I wanted to absolutely anchor in, where there might have been some issues around very heavy, improving ground, and then what happens in this scenario could that have been the reason why the horse just really softened badly? Because, I mean, the drop was five lengths, Ralph. Now, that's not characteristic of this horse, right? And mm. then it just it didn't pick up over the last 200 metres. It just floundered. That's I can't put it down as a sign of total flatness. I just put it down that the horse just never accelerated through that part of the ground and then just gave up. That's well, I've got, like I've got one thing away from the data, which is always an unknown, but there was some communication that he was very stirred up on the Friday night when the race was called off and the thunder hit and the lightning, very scary lightning hit. Um, mate said it was the scariest thing he's ever seen on track. Yeah. And he's a stallion. So maybe that experience, go to the races, uh, remember the great, <laughs> ironically, with the same stable, but I remember Reg Fleming, you know, the horse genius and big part of Bart Cummings' yard and now James Cummings' yard saying you never want to give a horse a bad experience. I'm just wondering if as a stallion he gets himself really stirred up and it, it, he, that, hence when they went for the accelerator there was nothing there because that, that gave him a bad experience and it was no one's fault but that's what happened. Well, that's one thing. And the other thing, yeah, no, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. If you actually look at the profile of Paul Laley and you'll just see like even if we just look at what's happened since say 22 to now – the horse only travelled up near that speed once, and that was at Eagle Farm back in May, where it went 2.2. The majority of its races are usually run below benchmark first section. Could that have also played a role in the end? So there, there's a few things there. Would I uh, be 
wanting to be off the horse after that, like into future races. At this stage, I, I would say no, but if the grounds continue to, if it happens to continue to be on really wet grounds, I'd have to reserve my thoughts, particularly if it's up against top-end horses. Well, let's uh, let's give uh, Bella Nipotina her due credit for what was a fantastic run. And really, if you're watching the races on that Friday night at Mooney Valley, her run was absolutely remarkable on the uh, uh, on the grand final eve, the AFL grand final eve, when really it was a mad two lane leaders highway, and uh, and and she produced such a big run. Where on our sizzlers we wrote, we sizzled her after resuming with an excellent one point nine links above benchmark. So this also this track distance, but she's not only eclipsed that, but done so as clearly the best performance of any runner not leading on in the two lanes of the night. Minus 2.8, the 800, plus 1.5 mid-race, minus 3.3 last 400, with the context being the best last 800 and 600 of the night, the second best last 400 and just failing. Uh, and her PB was in the Manicata last spring, and you mentioned this on the podcast on Friday, 3.1 that day. On firm ground, what you do on Saturday? Well, there we ended up with a 3.6, and Ralphie, could have easily been a four in the four range. I mean, it was it wasn't easy to really try and score this race, you know, correctly with adjustments. We were just taking into consideration the scenario, how much more to adjust, particularly around that four to six hundred meter mark. And I, I was really basically left it was going to be somewhere around three and a half to plus four range. So three and a half, just based on a whole range of other things as well. Who, who's running to the money? How other horses didn't perform? The run was I. I just, I had to go back and have another look, Ralphie. I mean, <laughs> what happened? I mean, the horse is out the back, really, right? When I say at the back, not, you know, last, but, yeah. you know, out the back, right? Not that far from But when they – I just, like, noticed everyone was off the fence. There was – it was like a one-lane highway for the horse. It just got – it was like the seas had parted. And I was going, yeah. look at this for a run. Unbelievable. And Williams, he just said, I own that lane well he actually owned three lanes all by himself <laughs> and right. once yeah once he got through you know to, up to the front it was just there was no way it was phenomenal and it was the signal of about we said this horse was airborne and that's exactly what it was wasn't it, it was an airborne performance unbelievable and yeah look no one else got near benchmark that's the that's probably the scary part well, 3.6, the other context is about Paul Laley not turning up. His best is 4.1. So, you know, that that his best would make it make it a race as good as she went. But he didn't turn yep. up. No, that's uh, what happened. The opposition, we just spent uh, – we just spoke about, you know, uh, how a fast run race puts – puts chases out of the clothes. Well, I know it's post-race, Damien Lane said on racing.com, he was happy with his tactics. He wanted to make it a race out the front. Well, all right, he was well beaten, but there you go, 4.1 lengths above benchmark. First 400 off a standing start, that's explosive speed. Yeah, he was tired late, and they got the second in a group one, and Best of Bordeaux was tagging that speed. He got third, so they're all spent Bell and Ipatina. But where were the placings? They were the ones up front because everything was too tired to get into the money. Yes, well, maybe Dame. See, Damien, we've talked about Damien a minute. I mean, like, I, he's, a, he's a rider that I'm certainly always uh, excited to be on side with, particularly if I'm looking to engage on a particular runner. But I'm always nervous if he's on front-running horses because you know a number of things have to go to plan, and he probably needed to adapt more of a Jamie Carr strategy <laughs> instead of, well, it is a sprint. I guess you've got to go all out. Yep, and see how things pan out. But in this scenario, if I look at the horse that's running second, uh, look, Damien could have gone two lengths slower, 
Uh, again, I'm only talking through the prism of numbers, <laughs> and that could have uh, made things a little bit more interesting. But the, I think the sea still would have parted, Rafi, for, for this horse to just be too good. Well, there were two smashings on the day. One was Bella Nepatina, the other was Francesco Gardi. Now, on Friday, you said, is this horse nominated in the Melbourne Cup? And uh, <laughs> Darren's written here, uh, why, was, why wasn't it? Well, we don't know why it wasn't, uh, but uh, you, you you put that on the table. Well, dear, dear, did he make a mess when we were in the Mooney Valley Cup? Well, that, was, that run was like a golden run for a Melbourne Cup. It really was. Like the performance that it put down as well. And Luna Flair's like is a very good horse. And it was really good of you, Ralphie, to communicate in the podcast about they're already in the grand final. So they're not going to go out and look for murderous performance. But you still want to see a good performance, right? Yep. And Frank, I don't Luna, I don't believe Luna Fair would, would have ever beaten it. I mean, there's no way. I mean, this horse won comfortably and with so much more. I mean, it actually increased its speed again over the last 200 metres. But through the six to the 200 metres, where we got a little bit more of an issue on part of that track, the horse was dramatically slowing, Ralphie. It's never an advantage to do that, especially off that race pace. And then to still finish strongly, you just know this horse has had two or three lengths up its sleeve. and you know, this is, look, was heading to a plus four for a Melbourne Cup type profile. So maybe next year. Well, I just wonder if it runs at the Queen Elizabeth on the last day of the carnival over twenty six hundred at Flemington. Um, oh, dearie me, who's going to beat that? No one. <laughs> so now we've had a number of questions about the three year olds on Saturday, both in the Vars and also in the Spring Champion in uh, in Randwick. This is our Group One members bonus. So if you're a Group One member, we're going to do a little. Uh, bonus podcast after this, which we'll email to you directly. So if you want to become a member via my website, racetrackralphie.com.au, support the fact that we're independent, corporate bookmaker ad-free, and this is our little gift back to our Group 1 members as a thank you. So every, every most, we'll certainly during the uh, big carnivals, we'll do a little bonus podcast. It'll be about three odd. Also, I want to ask Vince about Amelia's Jewel from uh, Ascot. So it's uh, uh, it's it's a very exciting horse. So I'll ask Ralph, you if about. I can, just yeah. uh, we're going to keep for the Group 1 because there's one horse I hope we touch on it in the Group 1, and, and that's out of race six. We definitely got to talk about that horse. Well, let's do it now. Oh. Now? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're going to steal my thunder there. <laughs> no, no. Uh, is it, so was that where you were going to want it to go anyway? All right. I'll leave it for the podcast. Good. Done. <laughs> I think you're a bit excited. You, you've given it a lick of the ice cream, so we'll, we'll put that in, uh, in, the, in that race too. Just finally, what, what, can, you, what can we learn from, uh, from that Mare's race in race 10 uh, with – Roots just being stuck on the inside. Well, we talk about the Vasees parted for Willow in the last race. It didn't part for Willow in the uh, 10th. They've gone slow. She's stuck on the inside. Clearly, hard defence was the slowest part of the track. I'm not saying any criticism, but what could she project to now, given that relatively soft run into Fleming, which I assume is the 2000 grand final? So that's the, the, the big aim, is it, Ralphie, the, going down that pathway? Well, I'm assuming so, because the matriarch on the last day is a bit of a traditional uh, path for, for the mares, over 2000. Well, the good news is this. They're all trending upwards. I mean, Roots, even though it ran second, it's still virtually three lengths better than the start before. Yep. And slightly better than its first up run, which is fantastic, right, as, you, as you're going up in distance off on a slow race shape. I mean, it, there's no way that race shape is favourable to run time. And the beauty is the horse relaxed fantastically, it uh, closed superbly, which just gives you ton of confidence that there's going to be less of a problem getting up to 2,000 metres. But overall, scorecard, 
how much are we going to be trending above benchmark? At the moment, all I can see, Ralphie, right now is we're just trending to benchmark, which is uh, it's hard to get super excited. But then I guess it gets back down to who's the competition. Always. Uh, yep. let, let's touch on a couple in Sydney. Firstly, Vince, they said the track soft six. I'm looking at the numbers. I'm not saying soft six. How would you call that track at Ramwick? Soft six is that what they were officially? Yeah, officially communicating. All right. Well, <laughs> that's interesting. Minus seventeen race one. Minus twenty race two. Minus eighteen. And we're talking just raw figures because that's that's about forty years of history, Ralphie. Yep. Uh, minus twenty race four. Twenty one race five. Sixteen race six. Twenty two race. Ah, uh, no. This this is um, hundred percent H eight. Hundred percent H eight. Yep. All right. Uh, as I said, we'll, we'll talk about the uh, the spring champion later. But as far as the uh, the best of the day was concerned, he's a hard horse to rate this Cody because that track at uh, at Randwick was bottomless uh, a fortnight earlier. But he's improved again uh, on a H eight compared to, like I said, what was probably effectively a H twelve. We we sizzled him when his Canterbury win was was uh, second up after finding traffic first up. He is progressing the right way. Well, I hope I if anybody took some of that advice of scissors, but B, I hope anyone that got the race speed profile was all in because I just thought this was a bit of a standout in the end and performed superbly. Plus 1.3, best of the day. No surprise from my perspective, Ralphie. This is a horse that's just launching in one direction. And then I have a look at what it did under the circumstances of the day. Going 2.2 lengths below and even increasing the speed between the 8 and the 400 metre mark, when I challenge the rest of the card this was definitely like at the faster end of really utilizing solid speed and and you know of course there's an expectation you're going to weaken late and overall this horse has now gone to a new level and could this horse improve further is the big thing on my mind and my view is it just depends on what their plans are if they're going to have another run this campaign, or they're going to be looking at a different distance. It's but Anthony Cummings. He'll be he'll be running it again. Yeah, <laughs> running it again. Okay, okay. Well, that, well, there's probably another win in store for this horse. The mayor's raised two million dollars up for crabs. An amazing prize money for the invitation. Now, promises success. One at twenty six dollars. Did we find it? No. But let's let's just ask one thing, Vince, because back in Newcastle, that was the transferred BMW meeting from Rose Hill, which they ran on the Monday. Uh, 0.2 length winner, I'm reading from Sizzlers, 1.2 length above benchmark, ranked third on the day, very solid winner by this imported mayor, John O'Shea, clearly now has spot on in a slow tempo race with the leaders going minus 7.4. She came from near the rear with a booming closing sprint, and we went on there. So my point being, it didn't turn up first up, but it didn't turn up on a bottom, on that heavy 12 I'm talking about. On a H8, all of a sudden she gets a chance to actually just get, produce some kind of acceleration. Ralph, I thought this was a runaway, right? Yeah, because I knew the horse was capable of running, you know, rock solid plus one. The PB was like you said at Newcastle was a one point two, but the previous campaign that was where I was taking the real close observation was a winner. It ran with a plus one point one. So yep. when it won, I was a little bit disappointed, right? And when I say disappointed, I just thought it was one runaway. But what a massive turnaround! And yeah, that really bottomless track obviously never pushed it, and here it is. Got a reasonably good race shape. In other words, 
going seven lengths below benchmark isn't going to really test the horse. And you've had one run under your belt. And the move mid-race, given the conditions of the ground, wasn't uh, of any dynamic fashion. It was like a five-length squeeze. So it doesn't sort of put you in a bad place. And yes, there was a loss of velocity over the last 400 of about five and a half lengths. But everybody else went worse. All right, so that's a promising success. Running to her number as a seven-year-old mare, but yep. an imported mare, so I suppose technically she's six and other people can work that out. Righto, uh, as I said, uh, a bonus podcast for the members. We're going to touch on the three-year-olds there as well as the uh, the other little uh, beauty that Vince has found from, uh, from Mooney Valley. And I'm also going to ask about Amelia's Jewel. Meanwhile, Friday, big, two big podcasts. One, the uh, Derby Day at Fleming. Well, that's just going to be our normal uh, all chips in. Big full field, only race speed profiles with uh, final edition update on the Saturday morning. So this Friday, if you uh, get the podcast, we're going to go through the quaddy legs at Flemington. Might even do a little bit extra. We'll just see how, how things pan out for the Friday morning, but definitely the, uh, the the quaddy legs. And Saturday, we'll update it all. On Friday, you get the early edition race speed profiles. On Saturday morning, you get the final edition race speed profiles. And we are only going to do the one product there. So that's the full uh, kit and caboodle for uh, Flemington. And on for the Sydney meeting, given we've got $10 million for the Golden Eagle, $3 million for the Nature Strip. We'll do just those two races and just the early editions only on the Friday. So that's uh, that's just those two races as a, as a separate uh, separate option there if you're looking for those big Rose Hill meetings. And, of course, if you want the full edition of Vince's race speed profiles for Sydney, uh, the only way to get that is via daily sectionals. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening to our year-round carnival podcast. <laughs>